You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. Nine through twenty-one. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister to the tab- to the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess his name and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must have, must give an account. Obey them so that <clears throat> their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and deserve to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you believe it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you that uh, you have preserved this book for us and that you have been speaking to us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that right now as we come to a close in this series and kind of the final installment of it, that you would bring to mind something that you want all of us to take away with us, that this would not just be a series that we... uh, that we just move on from, that even though we might be done preaching, and I pray that it would not be done preaching to us, and that we would be able to experience more of you, Jesus, um, in a real and tangible way, that you would use what we've learned here uh, to conform us more and more into the men and women that you've created us to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1997, Apple launched its iconic Think Different advertising campaign uh, using these black and white photos that you see here in footage. Uh, the commercial featured world changers like Albert Einstein, Bob Dylan, Martin Luther King Jr., John Lennon, Mahatma Gandhi, and others. Uh, it was uh, actually actor Richard Dreyfus who narrated the commercial, and in one of the greatest advertising scripts ever composed in this very monotone voice, Dreyfus said, Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. 
You can quote them, disagree with them, love them or vilify them. But the only thing you cannot do is ignore them because they change things. They push the human race forward. And though some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who actually do. According to Tech Republic, this is the most successful advertising campaign of all time. And why is that? Because deep inside of each of us is a desire for greatness. If you think about it, you talk to a kid and you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've never met a kid that says, "Mm, I don't know, just like be mediocre. Like, I just want to settle for the status quo. Like, I just want to like a safe and easy and like normal life. Like, no, like kids naturally wired into them by God is a desire for something that is grandeur, something that is big, something that is great. All of us, whether you realize it or not, it kind of gets beat out of us as we go through life. But, but within us, this God-given desire to make a difference, to change the world around us, to leave things better than we found it. And, and Jesus himself calls us to this. I think of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you're a Christian, you're called to be salt and you're called to be light. What is salt and what is light? Salt preserves what is good in the world. Light shines itself into the darkness. It obliterates the darkness and what is wrong in the world. Later, Jesus said that we're to be a city that is set on a hill, a city within a city, a city that that stands apart, a people that are so unique and so different that when those uh, around us get a taste of what life is like around us, they're really getting a taste of the kingdom of God. They're getting a taste of what heaven is like right here on earth. And as we discovered last week, if if this is ever going to go from being like this, this pipe dream to this reality, We're going to have to be a people who are cool with not being cool. Does that make sense? We're going to have to realize that, that, that we might not always be seen as relevant or hip or normal. As we said last week, if we're going to be a church that, that actually makes a difference, a people that, that rather than being changed by the world, we change the world. We need to be a church that is committed to keeping Christianity weird. That's what we need to be about. Like that should be like our slogan across the church, like keeping Christianity weird. Not because we're trying to like just stand out, but we want to stand out for the glory of God. Like we want to people to look at us and say, there's something different about you compared to someone who doesn't actually believe that Jesus got out of the grave. And so as a church, the call this morning, as we ended the series, is to think different. It's to live different. It's to be willing to go upstream against a culture that is constantly trying to conform us into its values and pull us away from Jesus. And if you missed last week, it was kind of the first installment. It was Keep Christianity Weird Part 1. And we said there were five things that we see in Hebrews 13 that we're called to do as Christians. We're called to love each other like family, to show hospitality. That means actually to welcome strangers into your home. That's what the word hospitality means in the scriptures. We're to practice empathy. We're to pursue purity and we're to give generously. And today, as we come to a close in our series, in this kind of second installment of Keeping Christianity Weird, we pick up in verse 8. And the preacher says, if we're going to be the people we've been called to be, if we're going to be the church we've been called to be, if we're going to stand out amongst a sea of apathy and actually make a difference in the world, the sixth thing, for those of you that are taking notes, he says, the sixth thing that must be true of us is we must be a people who live with gospel resiliency. Must be a people who live with gospel resiliency. Here's what I mean by that. Look in verse 8. Verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. 
not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Notice how right in the middle of this list of ten imperatives, right smack in the middle is this imperative where he says, look, if you're going to keep Christianity weird, you need to, quote, be strengthened by grace. You need to be strengthened by the good news of the gospel that says, I am not saved by my works, but I'm saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. The preacher says, this is essential to making your life count. This is essential to changing the world around you. It is embracing the reality that we are accepted by God and we are loved by God, not because of our performance, not because of our religious activity, but all because of the grace of God. Now, why is that so important? Because if you ever get serious about the Christian life, If you ever truly decide, I'm going all in on this Jesus thing, I'm going to try to do what Jesus has called me to do, you need to know that you will fail. You will fail. Just want to tell you that right out of the gate. Like There are times you are absolutely not going to love each other like family. There are times where you are not going to want to welcome strangers into your home. There are times where, where, where you are not going to want to be empathetic. Times where you're not going to want to pursue purity. Times where you're not going to be generous with your time and your talents and your treasures. There are going to be times, no matter who you are or where you come from, where you absolutely are going to know the right thing to do, and you're still going to choose to do something different. And because that is true, because in the Christian life all of us struggle because we all stumble and fall, because uh, we, we all at times, the Bible says, fall short of the glory of God. If we are going to press forward in the mission God has given us, we have to continually be strengthened by the grace of God. We have to cultivate, church, a gospel resiliency. We have to realize that even on our worst days, even when we blow it big time, That because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, even whenever our faith is fickle, even when we are faithless to God, he remains faithful to us. And because of the work of Christ on our behalf, as we trust in him, we know we are safe and we are secure in God's love for all eternity. You have to keep coming back to that. For some of you today, like like you have forgotten this gospel, you need to be strengthened in this grace because for some of you in here today, you have been crippled by shame. There are some of you in here because of sins that you have committed, things that you have done that you should not have done, or things that you didn't do that you that you know you should have done. Because of this, you find yourself today living with a sense of worthlessness. Because of your own sin, you find it hard to believe that you're worthy of God's love. And maybe when you picture God, even right now, you imagine God's pretty angry at you. Or at best, he's disappointed with you. Because you haven't somehow reached up your potential, or you haven't somehow gotten further along in your walk than where you actually are. And if this is your view of God, listen, if you're going to get out of that toxic shame, the worst thing you could do is just try harder to be better. That's not the answer. The answer is not to try harder to be better. The, the, The answer is to be strengthened by grace. The answer is to sit at the fire of the gospel and let it begin to warm your heart. To remember, as the preacher goes on to say in verse 10, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we now have full access into the presence of God. We get to eat with God. That's an image even that David has in Psalm 23 where he says that God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. 
We get to have fellowship with God and therefore as a result have the deepest cravings and desires of our heart met in Him. And again, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, but all because in God's great grace He has given Jesus to accomplish for you everything that you could never accomplish for yourself. And this is why according to the preacher, he says, man, if you're going to keep pressing forward, if rather than staying stuck in your shame, you're going to continue to grow and progress in the Christian life you need to be strengthened by grace, to cultivate a gospel resiliency that allows you to recover quickly, not if, but when you fall. One of the ways, by the way, side note, that you know you're maturing in Christ is when you sin, you run to Christ quickly. You don't beat yourself up and be like, I'm such an idiot. I'm such a loser. I'm a nobody. God, I'm so sorry. Like, the faster you can get to Jesus and sit in his love when you sin, like, the more mature you're becoming as a Christian. You need to get that today. We need to develop a gospel resiliency. Seventh, he says this. Seventh, if we are going to keep Christianity weird, we not only need to cultivate gospel resiliency, but we need to remember our destiny. Verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Got it? Ready to move on? Everybody got number 11? Verse 11? Some of you are shaking your head yes. You don't got it, right? What he's talking about here is in the Old Testament, the priest would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, a place where it's kind of considered to be the hot spot of God's presence. Only the high priest would go in there. He would sacrifice this animal, uh, and, and it was a symbolic for he would shed its blood for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. He would then take the animal outside the camp, outside the gate, outside of where it was kind of safe, and he would throw it out there. They would burn the bodies, and it would be the symbol for now your sins have been they're done away with. Okay, That's what would happen in the Old Testament. Remember, the people he's writing to in Hebrews, they know the Old Testament at the back of their hands. They have a very high view of the high priest from the Old Testament. And so he's saying here now in verse 12, Jesus is the better version of that. Because in verse 12, look what happens. Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. So Jesus, through one final sacrifice, he didn't just shed the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of your sins. He shed his own blood for the forgiveness of your sins once and for all. And in verse 13, because that's true, look at this. He says, let us go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. Let's go outside our comfort zones. Let's go outside where it's safe. Bearing the disgrace he bore, why? For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Several years ago, I watched uh, the movie Safe, which many critics say is one of the greatest movies from the 90s. It's actually set in the 80s. It's about this woman named Carol you see there uh, on the screen. Carol, uh, outwardly, uh, by looking at her, you would think she has an incredible life. I mean, she has a rich husband who drives a BMW. She's a pretty lady, uh, has friends. I mean, like life seems to be going well, but in the background of her life is this anxiety. And the further the movie grows, the bigger her anxiety gets. Eventually, she gets to the point where she's like, man, like, like, like she doesn't even want to go get her hair permed because she's like, the chemicals could give her cancer. She doesn't want to listen to the radio. She freaks out because of the news. She's afraid of people. She's afraid of germs. She's afraid of car fumes. And so one day, she's working out at the gym. And she sees this flyer. And, and on this flyer, it's advertising this, this seminar. And it says at the top of the flyer, are you afraid of the modern world? And she's like, oh yeah, I'm terrified of the modern world. So she goes to the seminar. At the seminar, she learns about this commune that she can go and live at, this place of, of complete safety. So she goes, she moves into this commune with other people. They basically like spend their days singing like folk songs and everything's great in the beginning. But then, even though she's here, completely isolated from the dangers of the world, she all of a sudden feels like she's not safe enough. 
So she talks to the director of the, of the camp. They actually tell her, we're going to put you in the safest room. It's like this little igloo. And she's completely isolated from germs, completely isolated from people, completely isolated from all the dangers of the world. But what she realizes is this. In her attempts to make her world safer, she actually makes her world smaller. And everything that she'd been looking toward, right? Like, like she no longer has. She doesn't have any beauty. She doesn't have any fulfillment. She doesn't have any satisfaction. She doesn't have any of that stuff. But she's so ate up with anxiety. She's so afraid of danger. She stays where she is. And finally, at the end of the movie, it's a haunting scene. You can see it right here. Her husband shows up, tries to get her to come back home. And you think, okay, she's going to go back home. But, but as her husband's in the room, she says, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go. I'm afraid your clone's going to make me sick. And so he walks out the door, he shuts the door behind him, and then there she is, completely isolated from the world. And in this, in this scene, she's looking at the mirror, and she just keeps saying over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you. She's just trying to make herself believe that I'm actually worthy of love. And, and the movie, again, there, there's, just go watch it on your own. But look, the whole reason I share that is to say this. If you're going to live a meaningful and fulfilling life, it will not come from you trying to make your life safer. If you're truly going to experience life as God created you to experience it right here on this side of eternity, um, rather than choosing a life of retreat, you would rather choose a life of risk. Rather than embracing comfort, you were called as a Christian to embrace your cross. Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must pick up their cross and follow me. For whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, but whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And this is essentially what the, the preacher is saying right here in verse 13. He says, let us go to Jesus outside the camp, outside of our comfort zone. Remember, he's writing to people who are wanting to tap out because they're suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. And he's saying, don't tap out. Don't play it safe. Let's go to Jesus outside the camp. Let's bear the disgrace he bore. Why would we ever do that? Again, verse 14, because here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for a city that is to come. The preacher says, if you want to keep Christianity weird, you have to remember your destiny. Guys, you have to remember this is not all there is. This is not all there is. Like, the physical is not all there is. This world is not our home. Like, 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 if you are a Christian, your best life is not now. Do you realize that? Your best life is in the future. Your future, no matter what is going on, if you are in Christ, is incredibly, incredibly bright. Because one day, all of the sin is going to be washed out of us and out of creation. And we're going to enter into a world where there's no sickness, there's no pain, there's no cancer, there's no people just dying at early ages, no death at all. There, there's no dysfunction. There's no brokenness. There's no pain. There's no sorrow. There's just us enjoying the overflow of God's perfections for all eternity and therefore finally and fully realizing everything that we have been longing for is found in Him. Like, that's our future. I just want to ask you today, like, do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, you will try to do everything you can to make heaven happen right now. For you will live for the things of today. And what the preacher wants you to see is, look, he says, stop living for instant gratification. Because eternal gratification is what awaits you. Focus. Remember your destiny. And then next, he says, if you want to be weird, if you want to stand out, if you want to make your life count. We don't just need to cultivate gospel resiliency. Not just do we need to remember our destiny, but we need to be a people, number eight, who worship sacrificially. Verse 15 
Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, and openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Despite what you have been told, this life is not about you. And it's not about me. You did not invite God into your story. He invited you into his story. And if you want to be really weird, guys, let me tell you, here, this is it. Like, if you want to be like super, super weird in our culture, live in such a way that rather than trying to make much of you, make much of God. Rather than trying to live for your glory, live for his glory. Worship God. And not just on a Sunday. Worship him in the everyday. He says in here, worship him continually. You know, one of the reasons that I think a lot of churches have stale worship, because it's the only time we come together and worship God. If we worship God throughout our days, it's going to feel like a worship explosion by the time you come together. But if we're not, if we don't even know how to worship God, we're not worshiping God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, of course it's going to feel like stale and just like, like it's just not going to be there, right? He says in here, like, 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 cultivate a life of worship. And how do we do this? He says it right in here in the text. Worship with your lips. Praise his name and proclaim his name. So we sing about the goodness of God, but we also share the goodness of God. We, we sing about the gospel, but we also proclaim the gospel. We tell people about who God is and what he's done in Christ. And then he says, you don't just worship God with your mouth, but you also, he says, worship sacrificially with your hands. And so we don't just proclaim the gospel. We're to be a people who demonstrate the gospel. We're to be a people who we worship in a sacrificial way, that we actually serve others in a way that costs us something for the benefit of another. And he says, when we live this way, when we worship God sacrificially in the everyday stuff of life, he says, God takes notice of this, and such sacrifices are pleasing to him. This is so much different than how we think about God, is it not? Some of us, if we can be honest, we think that God exists for us. That God exists to give me pleasure. To please me. It's like he's our little divine butler that we ring every now and then. It's like, okay, God, like, what are some things you can do today to make much of me? Guys, the reason we feel that way is because we live in a highly narcissistic, self-absorbed culture. Where somehow logically we come to this conclusion that God creates us and brings us into his world. And that he's now to serve us. Like, like we need to be a people who live for the glory of God. You know, just this past week, people all around the world celebrated National Selfie Day. Did y'all know that was a real thing? National Selfie Day. A selfie, by the way, if there's anybody in here that's like Randy Rogers, Randy was in our second service, he didn't know what a selfie was. If that surprises any of you. A selfie is when you have a picture taken of yourself, like by yourself, right? It's like you see in this guy right here. 93 million selfies are taken every day. You're probably some of them. Fine. I've taken my own selfies as well. I took a selfie of myself like three weeks ago while I was on the, at Lake Thunderbird and sent it to my wife. Uh, so she knew what I was doing. And while she was like wrestling with all the kids and doing that, she could be so thankful that I was with my buddies on Lake Thunderbird. And so um, I'm that good of a husband. And so if you've taken selfies, no condemnation. But, but National Selfie Day? Like Seriously. That's a real thing. I didn't know that. And so I went and I looked. They have their, their own website. Here's what it says on their website. This is a quote taken straight from National Selfie Day website. 
Check your hair, find your light, and strike a post. National Selfie Day is June 21st. Time to find the perfect angle. Try out the new filter and freshen up your socials. If you're feeling yourself, you're wearing a new favorite outfit, or you're just bored, it's time to pull out that camera phone and proclaim, but first, let me take a selfie. If you want to be really weird in a culture that is trying to proclaim first the self, let's be a people who proclaim first the kingdom of God. That will be weird. That will cause people to take note and say, what is different about you? The preacher says, if you want to keep Christianity weird, we need to cultivate gospel resiliency, remember our destiny, worship sacrificially. Ninth, we need to submit to spiritual authority. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. All right, let's move on to the next point already. (laughs) So stop right there. This is a sobering next line. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Never put yourself in a church under a pastor who doesn't know that one day they're going to stand before God and give an account for your soul. It's a weighty, weighty reality that one day I will stand before God and other pastors of the church will stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account to him for how I cared for you. That's what this just said. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no benefit to you. Pray for us. How quick are we, by the way, to complain about our leaders rather than pray for our leaders? Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. There's so much I can say here, but I'm just going to focus on this and, and then we'll move on. Um, We are currently living in a culture that has enthroned the self as the greatest authority. Self is now the greatest authority. I'm the final authority. Who are you to tell me what to do? Um, Self-expression and self-freedom is now considered the highest good in our culture. It's the highest good. And so therefore, as a result, by and large, across society, we are rejecting authority of all kinds. And if you don't believe me, talk to some of our teachers, talk to some of our principals, talk to some of our coaches, right? They will tell you. Like, I I mean, those especially who have been, you know, coaching, teaching, whatever, for 20 years, like, they will tell you, like, there was a time where if a kid got in trouble in school, what would happen? They would get in trouble at home. Now, if a kid gets in trouble at school, usually the teacher gets in trouble for it. The coach is to blame. The principal, the one in authority, is the problem. Now, let me just ask you, logically, Do you think that's because our teachers are just becoming more and more ridiculous and our kids are becoming more and more awesome? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's what, what is happening is that we are a generation more than ever that is having a very hard time submitting to authority. And I listen, I get it guys. Like we have all seen abuses of power. We've all seen people use their leadership uh, for, for greedy purposes, to oppress people, to hurt people. And so it's hard sometimes to submit to authority. But you need to realize, like, imperfect leaders have been a thing since the beginning of time. Like, since Genesis 3. Like, and yet God continues to say, even though I know this person's going to be an imperfect leader, I'm going to call them to lead these people, and I'm going to call you to submit to their authority. It's the way it's been from the beginning of time. We're, that's nothing new here in America. 
And so I just want you to think about, like, the Bible is chock full of imperfect leaders who God appointed to lead people. Abraham was a liar. He lied multiple times saying that his wife was his sister. She's my sister, I swear, right? Like, because he wanted to protect his own neck. Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had many, Father Abraham. And they were all just as jacked up as Father Abraham, by the way. Every one of them. They don't sing that in Sunday school, but it's the reality. Jacob was a cheater. Elijah was suicidal, had major depression. Moses had big-time anger issues, so much that he killed somebody. Don't cross Moses, man. Gideon was a coward. Samson was a womanizer. David was a murderer. Noah was a drunk. Some real scandalous stuff with Noah. Go read some of his stuff sometimes. Peter denied Christ three times. And then, we don't even talk about this, but after he denied Christ, after he'd already received the Spirit of God, when he was much older in life and should be much more mature, he wouldn't sit with certain members of the church because he was afraid of what the more prominent members would think of him, that he would sit with the lowly little Gentiles. Peter, on you, we built the church, Jesus said. The Apostle Paul once walked into a room and said, I am the chief of sinners. You know what that means? That means that the Apostle Paul was in this room today, he would look at you and he would say, however big of a sinner you think you are, I'm a far bigger sinner than you. That's what the Apostle Paul would say. So all throughout God's story, we see these imperfect leaders who are leading other people. And yet, despite all their failures and flaws, God continues to raise up these spiritual leaders and he expects us to submit to them. And so here's what I just want to say to you. Like, First off, I will be the first to admit, and I, and I try to do this uh, often, I'll be the first to admit, I am an imperfect leader. And I just want to say that again, so that you're not shocked whenever I disappoint you. So that you're not shocked whenever I don't always lead you perfectly. I am not a perfect man, and neither is any elder here on our staff. I mean, for me, I mean, ever since I've become an elder, I mean, there are times where I have lied and lusted. There's times where I've been deceitful. There's times where I have been a coward. There's times where I, I didn't encourage you and I should have encouraged you. And there's times where, honestly, I didn't rebuke some of you that I should have rebuked. <laughs> there are times where I've been self-righteous. There's times where I've been judgmental. There's times where I've compared myself to others. And times where I have cared more about the approval of man than the approval of God. Times where I've cared more about impressing you than loving you. I mean, the list go on and on and on. And so I just want to say, again, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you will not find one here at the Crossing Church. And, not to speak for other pastors, but I'm going to speak for other pastors, you won't find a perfect pastor anywhere else either. Any church you go to, let me tell you, whoever is leading the church, they need the grace of God just as much as you do. And, and so, by God's design, I don't know why this is, but he still calls imperfect people, imperfect leaders, to lead the church. And you're called to submit to them as a spiritual authority. You're called to follow them as they are following Jesus the best they know how. And so if, if this is a place where you don't feel like you can trust the leadership, I do want to encourage you, like, come and talk to me or talk with one of our leaders. We'd love to talk. Don't talk to each other about it. Like, just come and talk to us about it. But even after talking to us, if you're like, I still don't know if I could trust you, I still don't know if I could follow your leadership, then please, 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 for your own benefit, go find a church where you can. Go find a church where you can. And, and, and join that church. And if you're like, why should I join the church? Like, I don't even see membership in the Bible. Okay, well, look, membership isn't explicitly in the Scripture, but it's absolutely implied. So just think about it from this passage right here. 
if you're not a member of a specific church, which leader are you going to submit to? This is a command, by the way. It's, it's just as much of a command as any other command in all of the Bible. This is a command you have to obey if you're going to follow Jesus. If you're not a member of a local church, who are the leaders you're called to submit to? Are you called to submit to every pastor in Paragold? Are you called to submit to every pastor everywhere? Like even the ones on TBN who are like, give me your money, right? So you can go to heaven. Like, I hope that's not who you're called to submit to. And, and here's a question. Like, if, if you're not a member of a local church, who am I supposed to stand before God and give an account for? I need to know that. Like, am I called to give an account for every single person who's ever walked through these doors? God, I hope not. That's impossible. And so if it's not here, find some place where you can join a church. And it says in here, you can joyfully follow imperfect leaders because this is actually for your benefit, it says. It's weird, isn't it? Authority. It's crazy. So if we want to keep Christianity weird, cultivate gospel resiliency, remember our destiny, worship sacrificially, submit to spiritual authority, then finally walk in the power of the risen Jesus daily. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace... And I love that title, the God of peace. That's what God wants to do. He wants to make peace with you, peace within you, peace with others. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Let me just ask you this, and we'll be done. When you think of Jesus, what comes to your mind? Don't answer out loud. It's going to be different for everybody probably. But I want you to think, you might have to close your eyes, but when you think of Jesus, what image comes to mind? Do you think of Jesus like from a scene in the Gospels? Do you think of him like in a scene from The Chosen? Um, where is Jesus right now? When you think of him, where is he? Where is he at? What is he doing? The reason I ask you that is because I realized something this past week for the first time in my life, and here's what I realized, that when I think of Jesus, the primary way that I relate to Jesus is as the pre-resurrected Jesus rather than the resurrected Jesus. And my guess is it's probably true for most of you too, and here's why we do that is because we have a ton of stories of the pre-resurrected Jesus, we only have a handful of the resurrected Jesus. And so we relate to him as pre-resurrected rather than resurrected. Why does that matter? Well, it matters significantly. Because the Jesus who is here today is the resurrected Jesus. And he's ruling, and he's reigning, he's alive. And, 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 and why this matters so much is because if Jesus conquered death, anything is possible. If, if, if the grave could not hold Jesus down, nothing can hold him down. And the reason this should matter so much to you is because if you have trusted in Christ, he now lives in you through his Holy Spirit. That changes everything. And that's why the preacher ends with this prayer. He says, remember the risen Jesus. Remember that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the one who will lead you even to the valley of the shadow of death. And just like him, you'll come out on the other side better. Better. He says, remember this Jesus who will equip you to do everything good for doing God's will. Isn't it good to know today 
that all of this stuff in Hebrews 13 that we're called to do, we don't have to do it in our power. It's done to the power of the resurrected Jesus inside of us. He says, remember that Jesus will work in you through all things what is pleasing to God. And so as we end our series, I just want to end the series the way that I began the series, by pointing you to Jesus. He's all we got. And he's more than enough. Remember I told you at the beginning of this series that if you wanted to sum up the whole book of Hebrews in just one line, here it is. Jesus is better. He's better than your money. He's better than your spouse. He's better than your kids. He's better than your comfort. He's better than your vacations. Jesus is, he's better. He's just better. And, and so here's what I want us to do as we end today. I, I want to encourage you, let's just have a moment of reflection. And, and if you will, just close your eyes. And not anything weird. No one's going like, to try to get your money or anything like that. Just, let's just spend a time of personal reflection. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come forward. But as we end, I think it would be, it would, it would be a, a grave mistake for us to just blow through the book of Hebrews and not do some sort of evaluation. I just want to ask you right now, I'm in front of a crowd, but in front of a crowd of individuals, don't answer out loud. Do you believe Jesus is better? Do you really believe the risen Jesus is better? And here's what I want to encourage you to do right now, just in your own heart, your own conversation with God, would you just have the, the courage and the curiosity to just ask Jesus this question. Is there any is there any place in my life where I have believed there is something or someone better than you? And if so, would you please show that to me? And if Jesus reveals that to you, here's what I want to encourage you to do because you can't just muster up the strength in yourself to change your own heart. Just pray this prayer and just ask, just say, Jesus, like, would you please, would you please help me to surrender that to you? Jesus, would you please help me to put you first in my life again? Jesus, would you please be the Lord of my life? Maybe for some of you who are here today or you're listening online and you've never given your life to Jesus, it might be the first time ever for you that you truly surrender all that you have to him. Father, I thank you so much for giving us your son, Jesus. Jesus, I confess in front of my brothers and sisters that there are times that I do not believe you're better. There are times I believe that success is better than you. Times where I believe that my comfort is better than you, that money is better than you. I just want to repent of that. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would, for all of us, just open our eyes to see you as you really are. And that through the power of your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that that Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts right now. And she would help us to loosen a grip on these things that in the end will not give us what only you can give us. I pray that as a church, that even as we sing our songs, and even more importantly, as we go out of here this week, that we would 
worship you sacrificially, Jesus, because of the great sacrifice that you have already made on our behalf. And I pray that as a result, that this would be a church that in the weeks and months and years to come, that we would not become apathetic, that we would not try to just blend in and, and, and be cool, that we would, in fact, live differently, that we would be a peculiar people. I pray that, God, forgive me that I, I think sometimes I think I want to live in such a way that people remember my name, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. I just want to ask that you would help us to live in a way that, that rather than being concerned about people remembering our legacy, that we would want them to remember you. There's no salvation in any other name other than your name, Jesus. And so we want to praise you and we want to proclaim you. It's in your name that I ask and say all these things. Amen.